surprise you to hear me say that aviation has been one of the sectors worst affected by the pandemic. Globally, in 2020, 3 billion fewer passengers boarded flights than the previous year. Prior to the COVID shock, however, airlines were already facing major challenges for consumers becoming more climate aware. I wanted to find out more about how airlines and airports have been adjusting to the changes in consumer behaviour as a result of COVID and the requirement to reduce carbon emissions. Some figures suggest that the the loss of revenue uh, for airlines through last year is, is nearly 400 billion US dollars. This is Carl Dainter, Head of Aviation at MACE. He works with airlines and airports globally on just these challenges. To begin with, we're going to hear from Carl about what the impact of COVID has been. Cargo has remained strong all the way through COVID. We've all become more accustomed to buying our our goods through mail order. And of course, the continuous movement of of goods and products around the world has to cross borders and go through through airports. And private aviation and corporate uh, travel has remained consistently strong. Uh, We're working with, uh, with several airports that report that private travel and corporate travel has has continued to remain robust. Clearly, leisure travel and and airports that rely heavily upon leisure uh, passengers have suffered the worst. But actually, countries that have a large internal domestic network, like the US, for instance, or China or Australia, have actually remained fairly resilient. Their, Their networks have continued to to remain robust, load factors on aircraft have remained strong. And where they don't go through the issues around border control, then the consumer levels have have remained pretty pretty strong. In terms of uh, of other consumer behaviour, obviously leisure and business travel is vital for for that long-term economic recovery. And we do see consumer behaviour being materially impacted by inconsistent government policies from country to country. Recent surveys suggest that over 70% of, of airports around the world are proposing to have automated border controls uh, in place by 2023, the year after next. But what that also means is, of course, that nearly 30% um, don't. One of the other things that is impacting consumer behaviour in the post-COVID world, of course, is vaccinations. We know in the UK, where we have had a strong take-up of of vaccinations, that that is proving to be beneficial in enabling people to travel. But that vaccination take-up around the world is inconsistent and Whilst the UK and uh, other countries such as the US have had a fairly strong take-up on an aggressive vaccination programme, that has not been consistently deployed around the world. I think, and finally, other issues in aviation that are impacting consumer behaviour, I I see that consumers are continuing to be hesitant around health concerns. You know, are are they going to um, have an acceptable level of, of health quality through the airport on on an aircraft and then into the arriving country. Uh, Quarantine implications, both in terms of quarantining in their place of arrival, but then obviously returning back 
to their to their home locations. And of course, the changes of of legislation whilst travel goes on means that that decision making process is forcing people to continue to be to be hesitant. We have also seen as a as a nation, as a as a as a population, that remote working practices are becoming far more commonplace. Uh, we've all become accustomed to using more digital methods of communication, and indeed, more prominently, employees are expecting to uh, use um, uh, uh, digital methods and remote working as a method of of uh, doing their work. Indeed. Uh, a recent survey shows uh, over over three quarters of employers are now offering that hybrid working pattern as a job perk because it really resonates with with the employment market. So, Carl, clearly it's been a devastating year for aviation, but as we start to see significant levels of vaccination around the world, to what extent is there pent-up latent demand that might generate a strong bounce back in the short to medium term? various airports that we're working with that look at that long-term projection are seeing that there there is that demand coming through, but either through bookings, through government uh, intervention, or just uh, speculatively uh, and seeing that, that actually the, the airlines and the airports need to service the customer. And, and if they are putting on the capacity that serves the routes, then they will see growth in the uh, in the passenger numbers. So what changes in terms of technology or process will passengers see when they're travelling through airports in the future? We've seen over the last decade or so that the aviation sector is probably one of the most innovative sectors in the world in terms of its ability to respond to change and deal with that innovation in its evolution. We're seeing that the more progressive airports are now putting tools in place to make that passenger journey as seamless as possible. And that includes use of mobile technology, where biometrics now are becoming increasingly commonplace in identification. And we're seeing that level of technology work its way into the airport process. In addition, innovations such as queue management to reduce uh, the buildup of of passengers in key parts of the airport process, be it immigration, be it check-in. We're seeing a number of innovations come into the sector that help to maintain social distancing within the airport without frustrating the passenger journey. We've seen, for instance, most recently, software coming in that enables passengers to understand the place that their baggage is in the retrieval process so that to avoid that scrum of passengers on an arriving flight at the baggage carousel, you can be notified on your phone of the the likely time that it's going to uh, reach the carousel so that then you can manage your your transition to that part of the airport in in a far more knowledgeable way. And I think the airports themselves are learning 
significant amount of what how they can use technology to improve the passenger experience. One of our clients, uh, Hamad International in Doha in, in Qatar, is actually using the CCTV systems that they have uh, installed to monitor and track the passengers through the airport so that they can manage the staffing levels at key points such as security checkpoints or immigration desks so that when a a flight arrives or a series of flights arrive, they can increase the staffing so as to reduce that bottleneck through the airport, all focused on making sure that the passenger experience is, is comfortable and that people feel confident in using the airport in a socially distanced way. Thank you for that insight into how airports are reacting to the uh, the immediate challenges of COVID and the and the changes we're likely to see in the airport experience in the future. Perhaps, perhaps now we could look at the environmental issues. Clearly, reaching emissions targets is going to change the way that aviation operates. Yeah, it's a really good point, actually, Kenny. Um, environmental concerns in in aviation have been something that have been recognised and a number of airlines and airports have already started to to do a little bit of work on. But the pandemic, uh, the awareness and the recognition of the part that the airport and the airlines play, I think has accelerated um, those environmental concerns. I remember when the pandemic really hit and, and just uh, noise their air quality in and around airports, people uh, that had become accustomed to planes uh, constantly landing, the lower air quality, all of a sudden realised that there was a different environmental condition that they could have in and around airports. And what the pandemic has seen is a, a significant increase to awareness of decarbonisation of the aviation industry. And I think that's been accelerated by a number of of things. Firstly, I think society generally has become far more environmentally aware and and socially conscious of, of our carbon footprint. I think strides that have been made in other sectors, such as the automotive sector, where you know, the the rise in electric vehicles and in a not too distant future, hydrogen powered vehicles and the trickle of that technology into other forms of transport will give a rise in awareness, but also capability in the aviation sector. I think some of the projects that we're seeing come forward are, are demonstrating an increasing awareness of the part that the airport infrastructure has to play on decarbonising the sector. And uh, events such as COP26, which of course is happening in the UK in November 2021, are there to raise awareness and create that knowledge and motivation for all members of the aviation community, whatever part they have to play, to make a demonstrable impact on on decarbonising the sector. Clearly, aviation is highly dependent on fossil fuels. Carl, what developments are you seeing in the sector to decrease that dependence? Obviously, aircraft fuel is is predominantly 
fossil fuel based, but the the use of the fossil fuels in aircraft is uh, for more than just simply flying once the aircraft is is in the air. So a lot of fuel is actually burned just physically moving the aircraft around the the airport and to the runway and, and then obviously taking off. So uh, a number of aircrafts, a number of airlines, a number of airports are actually uh, pioneering using non-fossil fuels to manoeuvre the aircraft around the airport. Leeds Bradford Airport, for instance, has has just uh, started to create a sustainable energy hub that will produce its own hydrogen that will then fuel vehicles and cars around the airport so that the large pieces of equipment that are used to transport the aircraft from the the parking stand to the runway are done in a very sustainable manner and so of course what that does is it reduces the requirement for for using fossil fuels on the ground but it also enables the vehicles that are used operationally around the airport to run sustainably as well we're working with another client that is using part of their building plan to uh, create a huge uh, pv array photovoltaic array on the roof of the of the terminal building that's under construction and that creates um, not only energy to uh, service the airport building itself but then it will provide energy to power the planes the aircraft once they're on the on the ground and and sat on the on the parking stand so when the 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 passengers are uh, are embarking and disembarking and the lights are on and the air conditioning is running that is being run by energy that's being converted from the environment as opposed to uh, fossil fuels uh, keeping the uh, the engines running Okay, so what I'm hearing is that there are two parts to the decarbonisation of aviation. The first being around airport buildings and the decarbonisation of ground handling. What about the fuel that's used in flight? Surely that's a bigger challenge. There are a number of initiatives that we're seeing coming through. And again, there's no one size fits all solution because you've obviously got a a solution for short haul you've got solutions for slightly longer haul you've got solutions for very short almost commuter type flights but typically what we're seeing in the sector is is an increase in the use of uh, electric infrastructure that we talked about uh, earlier um, coming from the uh, automotive industry. So electric planes starting to be considered as feasible for short haul travel. And that obviously reduces the use of fossil fuels. And we're also starting to see the rise of EV tolls. So small electric power uh, aircraft that uh, can move small numbers of people on busy routes from point to point um, using that that charging capability to to reduce the impact on on um, on the carbon footprint on more conventional routes we're now starting to see a, a, a large awareness of sustainable aviation fuels and that uh, starts to bring in quite high-tech decarbonization technology that reduces the amount of fossil fuels used in the in the production of the aviation fuel without fundamentally changing the way that the aircraft operates and uh, bringing about a new fleet of, of aircraft. 
the key challenge here is how to decarbonize an industry which uh, alone produces about like a 2% of all the CO2 emission and across the transport sector is responsible for 12% of the, the CO2 emission. This is Pier Paolo Avanzi. He works alongside Carl in the aviation team at MACE and in particular is focusing on projects around sustainable aviation fuels. So because nearly a quarter of the operating cost uh, of an airline is uh, spent on fuel, focusing on uh, fuel efficiency alone uh, is a major incentive for the whole industry. Going back to your question, what, what is a uh, sustainable aviation fuel? If we look at into detail, we can say that is a fuel which uh, feedstock is generated from uh, biomass, uh, agricultural or municipal solid waste, and uh, on the high end of the green ladder from uh, uh, power to liquid sources. And it's very similar in its chemistry through traditional fossil jet fuel. On a technical angle, the feedstock gets deconstructed to an intermediate uh, carbon feature, which gets uh, reassembled to become uh, first renewable diesel and then uh, sustainable aviation fuel, which we commonly call uh, SAF, uh, SAF. So why this uh, option has uh, some range of like a credibility or sustainable credibility? Basically because uh, SAF has the potential to provide a, a life cycle uh, carbon reduction for up to 80% compared to the traditional jet fuel. Although it has a similar emission during the flight, uh, the main CO2 emission savings come from uh, the different processing and uh, refining emission from the different transportation solution and from the different like feedstock uh, life cycle emission. So if we drop straight into the existing infrastructure and uh, aircraft engine blends up to 50% of the traditional jet fuel, we basically don't have any impact on the current aircraft fleets uh, and we can operate the current engine uh, as normal. What I'm hearing here, Pier Paolo, is that existing aircraft in operation can already use up to 50% sustainable fuel in their fuel mix. Correct, Kenny. Actually, all the main uh, engine manufacturers, i.e. Uh, GE, Rolls-Royce, uh, they've been testing uh, the deployment of SAF uh, in the current engine for a maximum blend up to 50% uh, without losing performances. So I'm guessing, Pierre Paolo, that there's a, a cost impact to this. How much more expensive is SAF than traditional aviation fuel? Well, this is the key question, Kenny. So the, the key barriers now to a large scale production are uh, the price differences with traditional fossil fuel and also the current limited support from uh, uh, government policy. At the present, the nominal production cost gap between uh, sustainable aviation fuel and fossil fuel is uh, three to five times depending on the pathways. So we see the traditional A1 jet fuel ranging about like uh, 50 cents US dollar per liter against the three to five US dollar per liter for uh, SAF. Okay, so there's a very significant price gap, which, as you say, is going to be a barrier to the adoption of sustainable aviation fuel. I, I guess that's not unusual with new technologies. How do you think that gap is going to be closed? Well, different solutions can, can be adopted to close the gap. So first of all, a large availability of uh, cheaper renewable energy would be ideal to drop the price. But airlines, airports and governments can also close the gap uh, by monetizing on the value stack. Uh, what I mean is by looking into the intrinsic value of the fuel, so into the carbon offset value and uh, into the reputational benefit value. In fact, stakeholders and investors today are ESG-conscious customers, uh, which care about the creation of job opportunities as well, like a diversified fuel supply and uh, geopolitical benefit. 
So in, uh, in synthesis, the cost gap uh, will continue to close uh, as the production cost reduces and the carbon value increases. Uh, I guess the, probably the, the, the most important uh, remark while we are building a momentum on a meaningful supply of SAF should be considered like a regional opportunities, not uh, a one-fits-all like approach. So this is why MACE uh, in different geographies uh, like Iceland is looking into specific pathways for uh, production. Can you tell us more about what's happening in Iceland specifically? Well, Iceland is a particularly well placed uh, in the transition to sustainable aviation fuel because uh, the cost of uh, generating electricity using geothermal and uh, uh, hydroelectric power are very low. And at the same time, geothermal and hydropower plants generate power while operating essentially at a base load. So if we consider power to liquid sources for SAF, uh, where the green hydrogen is combined with carbon, the high level of fuel load operation impacts the level of hydrogen electrolysis. Therefore, it lowers the specific conversion cost. As a result, Iceland has a highly favorable condition from a cost perspective as a potential sustainable aviation fuel producer. In addition, Iceland has another competitive advantage, which is linked to its favorable geographical location, which is in relation to a sort of a location within like a, the North Atlantic fly routes between the US uh, and Europe, which uh, potentially can build the case for a green uh, refueling stopover, taking advantage of the successful uh, hub operating model of his international airport, which we have been supporting and we've been working with in the last year. Thanks, Pier Paolo. It's really fascinating to hear about how Iceland's location and its existing renewable resources could position it to be a hub for sustainable aviation. Can you say a bit more about the work that MACE has been doing there, you and your colleagues? Yes, Kenny. We've been working with Isavia, the national airport operator for Iceland, which both like owns and runs the airport in the country for the last 18 months on the major development program, which has gave us like a great insight uh, into the, the advantage dynamic of the Icelandic market, including the aviation market demand and um, the ways in which the geothermal energy is already harnessed uh, to commercially produce uh, energy intensive products and then uh, exported all over the world. We are working closely with our Icelandic supply chain and uh, our delivery team is on the ground already turning this program into reality and providing sustainable aviation fuel to the strategic North Atlantic hub. And eventually this could become a small scale test case compared to the size of the market to be exported to other geographies beyond the immediate Icelandic shores. So how are commercial arrangements between the different players in the aviation market going to have to change to support this kind of transition? Very good question, Kenny. So let's look at it from a, an airline uh, perspective here. So airlines can deploy either an aggressive approach uh, where they can act as investor or more passively as an off-taker or fleet uh, owners only. So as investor, they will need to assess uh, each production pathway with the specific technical risk in order to secure future fuel supplies and mitigate market risk. So particularly like uh, in, in this specific case uh, in Iceland, the uh, substantial, like a uh, very limited, like a uh, political risk uh, and the large availability of uh, renewable energy uh, from uh, geothermal and uh, hydropower plant can play a significant um, role while assessing like a uh, which uh, technology to uh, to deploy. 
as we are seeing, like uh, the interest is very much into the power to liquid uh, sources where you produce hydrogen from renewable energy and then uh, uh, in a combination with carbon, which is either capture from the atmosphere or from uh, industrial processes, uh, you transform it in a sustainable aviation fuel. So if we frame uh, SAF, uh, Sustainable Aviation Fuel, in a project finance deal, uh, which can, I'm sure our audience today will be very interested. Airlines can act as an off-taker. So in this case, like a lenders will look at different aspects before committing to a particular product or facility. They will consider, they will make consideration on the location of the site, uh, where the participant do have the capability to execute, uh, what technology, what carbon intensity, and how EPC contract uh, operate on the market uh, and uh, how the fixed stock contract and the off-take contract are framed and whether there are like uh, in place uh, sufficient environmental permits. From a finance perspective, uh, finally we can say that national agency are already providing public finance in the form of grants and uh, concessional loans. But as we can see, like a uh, more public finance is required to meet the larger needs. So perhaps uh, the most uh, effective use of public finance could be through providing uh, risk mitigation instruments such as uh, subordinate or first loss capital or uh, instruments such as uh, guarantees and uh, insurance mechanism. So we've seen how changes to the way airports are using energy to move aircraft on the ground and how new business models around sustainable aviation fuel can all contribute to lowering aviation emissions. But changes to aircraft design are also playing a role. Here's Carl again. We're now increasingly aware of aerodynamics and the impact of aerodynamics on efficiency and and fuel burn. And that combined with a move away from increasingly larger aircraft, you know, we're seeing a number of airlines now start to reduce their fleet of A380s, which only a decade ago were hailed as the future of the industry. If you look at where the industry is going, it is looking at smaller, far more fuel efficient aircraft that are lighter in weight, have a much higher efficiency. And then you combine that with the use of sustainable aviation fuels. That is the way that the decarbonisation of the industry is going to take real effect. And over the period of a fleet renewal programme, so without having to cause major airlines around the world to overnight change the aircraft that they've invested so heavily in, over the life of a fleet renewal programme, we will, as an industry, reduce step by step the reliance upon fossil fuels such that with increasing awareness and implementation of other forms of technology around electric power, around solar, around hydrogen, you can see a situation within the current generation lifespan that the decarbonisation of the sector is going to be significantly enhanced. My thanks 
to Carl Dainter and Pierpaolo Avanzi from Mace. I've put links, bio information and contact information in the show notes which accompany the podcast and you can get those by joining the Project Finance Institute community for free. Sign up at members.projectfinanceinstitute.com. Thanks also to Charlotte Campbell from Mace for her support in putting this episode together. This episode of The Project was mixed and edited by Bren Russell. I'm Kenny Whitelaw-Jones. Thank you for listening. And if you like this podcast, please share it on social media. Give it a review on iTunes. It really does help to spread the word. See you next time.